This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Martin Lindstrom is the guy for brand building. He's one of the world's premier brand building experts. He started his career in advertising at the age of 12 years of age. That's it, 12, with his first client being Lego. Martin advises Fortune 100 companies on how to build future-proof brands. He has carved out a niche as a global expert and pioneer in consumer psychology, brand marketing, and neuroscientific research. Martin has advised multinationals, including Pepsi, Google, Burger King, and Swiss Air. He's also a best-selling author of numerous publications, including Small Data, The Tiny Clues That Uncover Huge Trends. We're going to chat about our loss of common sense. How do we make sense of big data from small observations? And also, what happened with Lego when they dropped 31% in sales? So let's get into it. Martin Lindstrom, welcome to The Mentor. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And where are you from? Well, oh my, don't. <laughs> I'm born in Denmark, yeah. but I live in Monaco. Monaco, oh, cool. Yeah, here we go. Whereabouts in, are you a Monegasque? Or? No, I'm not. I'm Danish. Yeah. So you haven't taken up um, sort of a proper residency there as such? Well, I kind of have come and happened. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting place, really interesting place, um, Monaco. Um, I presume you're talking about Monte Carlo. Exactly. Um, yeah, you're not, um, and, uh, at this time of year, well, probably, yeah, this time of year is pretty popular. Oh, I tell you, I mean, <laughs> it's like living in, in the middle of a theme park right yeah. now. And then you have the racer cars in front of your window every day. It's yeah, pretty, yeah. pretty fun, I have to so say. So the racing's on right in May, isn't it? But the end of May? There's May, but then you have the old cars and the new cars and the York show and the flashy shows and God knows, it never stops. I, I know, it's you. a full-on place. Yeah, I have been there in the past many, many times, Some um, many years ago when I had a business there. But okay. Martin, you're actually you're in Sydney. You've been to the World Business Forum, um, which is you know on have uh, been over the last couple of days. Um, what is the World Business Forum in Sydney, and what are you doing there? What are you talking about? Um, World Business Forum has been around for thirty years. It's probably one of the most renowned uh, events in the world for business speakers, where you're looking at the future of thinking, creativity leadership, all those two things. And and um, today I'm going to speak about the Ministry of Common Sense. Go figure. What does Com- it mean? Well, <laughs> yeah, the story is very simple. I believe that common sense has completely disappeared out of our lives. Think about it. 
The other day when I was in Europe, I was sitting on a plane. I was disembarking from the plane and they got this new brilliant idea that you will disembark one row at a time to make sure you don't infect each other with this no aftermath of COVID. So we all were disembarking slowly out of the plane, very nicely, going straight into a bus where we're standing like sardines in a can. And it was so close, you couldn't even see the sign behind you saying you need to have a distance of one and a half meter between everyone. So this is the lack of... Nonsensical. Nonsensical, absolutely. And I fundamentally believe that nonsense has raped the world right now and is in every corner. So really what I'm going to talk about how uh, common sense really had to be reintroduced in uh, in the business world in particular. But is that because we've been engineered out of that? Um, you know, it ha- have have authorities and those who are worried about being criticised for not being able to manage um, our health systems, which are generally speaking underfunded and haven't actually been ready for the sorts of things that COVID has produced, um, they have pretty much basically structured our way, our way, how consumers are or how people are, they've structured us out of being in a common sense environment. So they've structured us right out. Increasingly. And in fact, there's a study from Australia showing that when people are using safety and regulations and guidelines and rules, they had to get a job promotion. Uh, whereas it also shows that people are getting a more miserable life at the same time. The, the reason why this is happening is, I'll tell you a story. Some years ago, two crazy kids sitting in a dorm room in San Francisco were smoking weeds and they were shooting a photo of each other, posted it online, hell broke loose, mom and dad freaked out the day after and they looked each other in the eyes and said, gosh, I wish we could retract that photo. And that was the foundation of Snapchat, today a $50 billion company. What's really interesting about the story is it began with empathy, the ability to feel what other people is feeling, and they're recruiting light-minded people. Now, what we discovered through all our research with this is that there's a direct correlation between empathy and common sense. Both of them are seeing the world from another perspective, right? So as a company starts typically a startup is all about empathy. You feel what the customer is feeling because you tried it yourself. As it grows bigger, they create this safety net around them. They want to protect it. The lawyers move in, legal compliance moves in, and the founders move out and suddenly becomes this monster. And that's the reason why a lot of corporations are suffering from this because people are petrified of change because they may lose what they already have. And with that, nonsense is arriving. That's very interesting. Um, so do you think um, you're going to um, maybe uh, fall upon another Snapchat as a result of um, visiting this loss of common sense in the world today? In other words, by finding, finding an audience who are or an audience who agree with you, most of the world probably would agree with you today. I mean, I was walking, walking to the studio today and I saw a, a woman walking out with a mask on. There was no one near her, in front, behind, there's no wind blowing um, unless she was sick and she just forgot to take it off. But she was wearing a mask and I just couldn't work out why. You know, like, uh, And that's an example of what you're talking about. Yeah. There's no sense associated with it. No. And, and, and do you think something will be discovered out of this? Because we're always asking what's the next Instagram, what's the next Snapchat, what's the next Facebook? What, do you think there's something coming around this? In other words, a flip. In other words, we society will flip into another app or another thing that platform that can influence us? No, 
Actually, I don't think that will happen because this comes back to a Muslim memory. And Muslim memory is if a whole society has got, gotten used to behave in a certain way, it's incredibly difficult to change path. And the worst thing is we start to blame ourselves. I'll give you an example. I checked into a hotel in Miami a couple of years ago, just before COVID-19, and I wanted to watch television, right? So I grabbed my remote control and it looked like a spaceship ready to take off, right? It had two on buttons and two off buttons. So I press on, nothing happens. I press the second one and suddenly the television switched on. After a couple of minutes of trials, I watched television. And then I wanted to switch it off. And guess what? First off, the room light dimmed in kind of a nice, moody, sexy way, right? And when I pressed the second off one, the air conditioning system switched off. Uh, but no, <laughs> the television was still running. So I had to have my ass in the air under the mini bar, unplugging all of it. And that's really my story, except for one little detail. Three months later, kid you not, I was sitting on a plane from uh, Miami to L.A., and I sat next to this engineer and he asked me, where are you from? And I asked him and he revealed he was from that company producing that stupid remote control, right? So of course I asked him, what the fuck is wrong with you guys? And he looked at me like a deer in the headlight, not understanding a thing. And he told me that um, it was brilliant because internally in that company, they had problems. They had one division responsible for Netflix, one for TiVo, one responsible for TV and radio, whatever. And they basically decided to separate that into zones on the remote control, explaining why they had two off and two on buttons and lots of different notepads on it. And he said, it's brilliant. We all know exactly what to do internally. And I said to him, except one little detail, I don't know how to switch on your television. And the problem here is it's become a disease embedded into every corner of our lives. And we blame ourselves when we can't connect the net, when that phone number is taking us to menu 15 and, and it's recorded for quality purposes. But the reality is that we're wasting more and more time. All statistics are now showing that we actually are spending 17% more time because of technology, which were meant to make our life easier is now making it more complex. So yes, there will be an app which is trying to simplify things and that will make things complex. But in the end of the day, it comes back to you and I asking simple questions every day. Is this common sense or not? And then teach the people which are reporting to us or the people we work with and infuse a sense of empathy. And as you do that in organizations in particular, you can clean it out. And that's exactly what I'm going to talk about so how to do it. Every now and then we just got to take a step back and think about why am I doing this? What am I doing? Is it of benefit to me? Is it valuable? Um, is it the most efficient way of doing something, et cetera? Which that makes sense to me because we get caught up in what we're doing every moment and we forget about taking a step back and, you know, just observing. Do you think then that there is a opportunity for someone to sh to create a platform whereby we all share that experience. So I do, I do actually. And that's the funny thing. That's the reason why the title of my, my book is The Minister of Common Sense, because we had this session with a bank called the Standard Charter Bank, one of the largest banks in the world. And um, packed with lack of common sense, thousands and thousands of rules for the sake of having a rule. And I'll never forget it because one late night I had a workshop with one of the employees in London. 
And uh, she came up to me, she said, I'm so frustrated. This is just too much. There's no common sense. I'm, I'm resigning. I said, oh, don't resign on my watch. This is on a standard chart. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So she looked at me. She said, well, what do we do? I said, why don't you solve it? She said, I want to create a ministry. Let's call it the Ministry of Common Sense. We literally opened the Ministry of Common Sense, asked everyone in the bank, 88,000 staff, to submit the biggest, most frustrating frustration they had every day. We had thousands arriving. And then we asked people to attach a solution. We had thousands of solutions. And then we started to implement one of them every day. At this day, it's more than 2,000 frictions, 2,000 nonsense cases has been solved in the bank. It's a little, little bit like a rumba cleaning up all the mess in the bank. So yes, I actually do think you can create an app where people can submit all the frustrations attached with the solution. And it can both be in private. It could be at work. It could be everywhere, really, in the end of the day. But as long as you don't blame yourself, but you ask yourself, am I using my time in the proper way? Uh, can I fix it in a sm small, f easy way? And most importantly, can I share it with other people to make their lives easier? Then I think we're on a path to success, right? It's interesting because we tend to um, just do what everybody else does and we yeah. do what we always have done and we don't make it, we don't, as I said earlier, or as you said earlier, you don't stand back and take a, have an observation of what it is you're doing and what's the point of it and critically assess it, even if it only takes you a minute, you know, et cetera. And, and then you, as you just said, then someone like Standard Charter then went and assayed, or you assayed the whole organisation, 80,000 staff, and you come up with 2,000 solutions with problems. A story which really fascinates me is from the banking world. Um, it's from Standard Charter Bank, which is the 10th largest bank in the world. What happened was that um, when they in the Chinese market were lending uh, through their apps, quite often those loans were rejected by credit and risk back in the office. And of course, all these reps were very frustrated about it because they thought they had a great opportunity and every time it would be rejected back in the main office. So one of the things we suggested them to do was to bring people from risk, credit and compliance with us into the offices of the small business owners across China, along with the reps. And what was really fascinating about it was, first of all, everyone said, you're not allowed to do it. Well, actually, you are allowed to do it, but everyone assumed you were not allowed to do it. But as we arrived, suddenly those folks, which had never seen the customers before, saw a dimension which they couldn't decode from the spreadsheets from that report, typically issued by the reps when they came back. So they realized, wow, this is fascinating. This business actually had potential. I like this business owner. Or they would say, on the other hand, you know what? I don't think this is good. As a consequence of this, Standard Chartered realized that in fact they've been reading those potential lenders completely wrong. What they realized was that by having all people, all eyes on one case, they saw it from multiple different angles. So they increased the numbers of loans they issued while actually having a much higher profitability rate because they were able to see where the risks were much quicker. So in fact, fewer risks or lower risk a more high degree of loans going through only by the sheer effect of combining two or three people into a team rather than just taking people from sales doing their job. That's a simple situation where you combine two ordinary things in a new way. And that's really the idea of common sense to see the point of view from different angles. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. How important, from your point of view, is it, for any mum with a brand to make sure that they read the market with proper data, you know, oh. and proper information pro- and properly analyse. How important Extremely is it? Extremely important. I'll give you an example from, from, from some of my work. So um, many years ago, uh, Lego had a huge crisis. Um, they were close to bankruptcy. They've been reading the market through big data. And the conclusion basically was that the instant gratification generation had arrived and kids had no patience whatsoever to play with Lego. So Lego went into panic mode. They introduced large building blocks. So you could build a castle in a matter of half an hour rather than six hours. Now that Christmas, Lego's sales dropped 31%. And I got a call from the the family saying, uh, we have a problem. What should we do? So we started to move into consumer homes across the world and we end up in a home of an 11-year-old boy in Germany, sitting on his bed. We are observing him and during that conversation, I ask him one question. What are you most proud of? And this kid, he points at a shelf where there's an old worn-down pair of sneakers. And of course, we're all completely surprised. I expected, no, Sony or Nintendo. No, an old worn-down pair of smelly sneakers. So of course, I ask him why. He says, because this is my evidence that I'm the best skater in town. You see, if you're a really good skateboarder, you can slide down this skateboard and exactly that angle on the side of the skateboard is his evidence that he's number one, his trophy. So, of course, I ask him, what does it mean? He said, this means that I can reflect. And this is the second we had a eureka moment. Because if a kid is willing to spend hundreds, if not thousands of hours, fine-tuning an angle of a shoe, why wouldn't the kid spend thousands of hours playing with Lego? So we went back to the drawing board. Uh, The Lego movie was invented. The bricks became smaller. Lego became the number one toy brand in the world. And it came down to observing what we call small data, seemingly insignificant observations made in people's lives. It's everywhere. The problem is we are on our phones so much so, we're so addicted to spreadsheets and data on our screens that we never see reality. So what I'm saying is that in the business world, the biggest opportunity you have if you're a startup or a smaller business is to start observing things differently, to observe and spot those small data because they point towards new trends, which you haven't seen before, exactly as you and I are talking about common sense. Um, And his issue, most companies are going that way to the left, seeing and observing the data the same way through big data. But actually, if you go the opposite way, you will find 
almost the most the biggest contrast was is what I call the causation. The reason why those small insights, just like what we saw with Snapchat, was creating foundations for new companies and brands. So, so when someone like Lego um, draws that conclusion from big data, and then you come along and you sort of look at smaller data, just this one eleven-year-old, and then you extrapolate from that. Do we discard big data then, um, and you know, do we or do we try and um, or do we go hunting for the small, the one percenters, to give us a balance between big and small data? I mean, I don't quite understand how you reconcile the two. Big data is obviously important. Big data co- companies are important. You know, they've got AI information on everybody that does the same thing. Um, how do we not fall into the same trap that Lego fell into? Well, first of all, it takes two to tango. So it's not a question matter about if it's big or small data. All research studies are now showing, and a recent one actually proved that if you want to predict the, the most accurate outcome, you need to have an equal balance of the two. Um, here's the difference between big and small data. Um, a big data analysis can very easily conclude that the more umbrellas you sell, the more it rains. What you are lacking is the context, the hypothesis. So small data is the hypothesis. Uh, I'll give you an example. So one of our clients is one of the largest pharma clients in the world. They operate in the respiratory field uh, area. I asked these people at the company, which is more than 100 years old, when did you last time spend time with your customers, your patients? And they said, never. I said, never? Yeah, compliance is not allowing us. Bullshit, I said. Let's try to do it. So we worked around the legal procedures, went into a home of a 29-year-old lady. she have had asthma her entire life. Wonderful lady. So I asked her, how did it feel to have asthma as a child? And she started to cry. And she told me she was teased in school. She was bullied. She was dished for, for parties because she was, and I'm quoting her, a disgrace for human mankind. So I said, you changed a lot. Why do you have so much confidence? She said, I'll tell you a secret. She went down in a handbag and she pulled out a straw. She said, this is what I do. Whenever I meet a new friend, a new colleague, I always ask them to breathe through the straw while holding themselves in the nose for one minute. And then they feel what I feel having asthma. And it exchanges a sense of empathy. I stole that idea. I shared it with the board of the company. I had everyone briefing through the straw. And after 30 seconds, one of the executives spit out the straw. He said, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever done. Who on earth can live like this? And I said to him, this is how your patients feel and live every second of their entire life. And they're paying your salary. If you could hear a penny drop on the floor, you would have heard it at that stage. What I'm saying is, it's a sense of of empathy exchange to the executives so they feel what the audience is feeling. And there you quite often use small data because it's attached with emotions. We can sort of empathize with it, whereas I can't really relate to that 20.2% that are ditched from parties when they're young because they have asthma, but I can relate to that feeling. That's where you start because what happens is you then build a culture around it. You Recruit people which have like-minded mindset. You establish a culture where the values are similar and suddenly becomes a purpose-driven organization. That is the issue with organizations today. Quite often the purpose goes up the drain because 
it's really not real. It's kind of a fake purpose, which is, you know, they to make the shareholders happy. But really, we don't care about the ethical side to that degree we should. So we need to go back to the drawing board, reconnect with the customers and small data quite often is the answer to do that. So if you're a small business, let's say you're a coffee shop owner, but you use Instagram and Facebook and every other platform and um, you are constantly looking at what those platforms tell you about your interactions on your page and as a result of that, um, but, but as well as that, you're trying to work out how do my customers really feel about coffee or whatever it is you're selling, um, how do they want it to be given to them, how do they want to be addressed, are you saying that as well as looking at the big information that Instagram or someone might provide you in relation to, you know, where your customers come from or who your customers are, uh, are you saying that um, the cafe owner, the coffee shop owner should actually talk to his customers, her customers and actually ask them? Absolutely. Just ask them. (laughs) Just talk to them. Hey, you know, how can I improve? Is it like that? Well, not only that, yes, talk to them. For God's sake, it's free research. Observe them. Stand in the corner. And see how they're waiting. What are they doing while they're standing there waiting? Where do they look? Do they see the various things on the floor? Look at those things because all of those inside points are actually generating opportunities. I'll give you a couple of examples from from Australia, from Sydney, in fact. There's a restaurant which you may be familiar with in Rose Bay called Catalina. Yeah. Catalina has been around for, for quite some time with the McMahons running the show. That restaurant, of course, is attracting a certain crowd which is almost feeling like this is their family. It's, no, you know the McMahons, you yeah. feel at home, all this stuff. And during lockdown, what happened was that people were cut off from it. Now, Judy McMahon had a couple of choices. She could either decide to just do home delivery, as everyone else did, or she could start to do observational research which is what she did. She started to ask herself, what is the purpose of why people are arriving into my restaurant? And she realized this is a journey. This is sort of a transformation from my everyday life into a little bit of a dream. So instead of just delivering things, she actually created a journey with wines. You could actually have a whole rack of wines taking you through different countries. When you would receive the delivery, there would be a candlelight. There will be a little handwritten card from the family. In fact, it was actually not about the food. It was about the journey. And what she told me just recently when people came back from COVID-19 was she received hundreds of feedback points from people saying, guys, I felt you were there in spirit. Even though it was takeaway, I felt it. And all these people came back to the restaurant after COVID-19 and were even more loyal because she stayed loyal with them during the crisis. So ordinary people, what would they have done? deliver the thing in a plastic bag, in a bag, whatever it is, and that would have been it. She said, what is the essence of what I'm delivering? And then she added that dimension. And actually, it's a booming restaurant today. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting that what you're saying here is because um, what, what, what I'm getting from this is that the power of the, uh, the, you know, the power of and the, the, the code of using your own personal observations to some extent has been overrun by data or our reliance upon data, thinking that data actually will fulfill that obligation and fulfill that role, when in actual fact, nothing fulfills the role of observation by you, especially if you're the proprietor or you're the board of directors or whatever the case may be. Um, and it's interesting in business like my own business, my, my home lending business, you know, my board of directors and my senior management, management um, wouldn't know 
what it's like to do a home loan. Um, they don't know what a borrower is actually looking for. Are they looking for confidence or I don't know, you know, there's a number of things they're looking for. But, and it's something that we need to do. We do rely heavily on data, big data, you know, where they're coming from, which suburb, how much they borrow in that suburb compared to that suburb, is it male or female, what's the normal income, what jobs are they in. We get all that sort of stuff. But really getting below it all and, uh, you know, that's important information, but getting below it all and finding out what's the emotion behind it. It's extraordinarily important. Let me just go into somewhat your industry. Let's take the real estate industry. We started to do observational research across the US, uh, in particular during COVID-19, to understand how that industry was changing. And one of the things we realized was that people actually are willing to buy a home just by an online inspection, as long as the real estate agent is willing to behave like the person inspecting, so going into the coppers and the drawers and all this stuff. But one thing everyone said was, gosh, I wish I could just get a feel for how it is to live here, how the neighbours are. That's a piece of small data. Remember, it's seemingly insignificant observations you make in people's lives, which reveals a big idea. What's a big idea? Flip it around. Why don't you ask people to say, well, you can stay here for a week. That's fine. You pay a little deposit. You stay here for a week and you get the feeling for what it is. You basically just do a little trial. Now, we introduced the trial in the U.S. across 16 states. And guess what? First of all, the owners of the house were actually willing to do it, in particular in areas where it was difficult to sell the properties. And those people trying to lend it for a week, the heat rate went up 300% compared to if they just had to go in and make a decision in a matter of about half an hour. It's such a simple idea to do a trial of a house. Now, why do people not do it? Oh, we can't do it, legal and replications and all this stuff. And of course, in Sydney, it's slightly different because there's such a big demand, but that will change now, I think. So the idea is very simple. That's where you find the opportunities because it's the gap between what people stand for and the hopes and dreams they have, what's representing an opportunity for a new brand or a new product or a new service, right? Well, that's uh, that's pretty powerful stuff. I mean, I, I actually I'm a big proponent of power of observation, and we 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 don't do enough of it. And we've to some extent we've relegated that to looking at data. It's too easy, and the data companies know that we're lazy, and they've actually sort of hijacked the whole game. Yeah. They've hijacked it on purpose, and we keep falling into it. Martin Lindstrom, I could listen to you for hours, but in the interest of time, because I know you got a lot of stuff to do, I really appreciate you coming. I I, I find this stuff fascinating, and it's good to see Australian companies, particularly particularly like um, our friends down there at Catalina on the Rose Bay Marina there, actually listening to people like yourself about how to understand what their customers feel as opposed to what they do. Martin Lindstrom, thanks very much. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Mentor. Audio and production is by Jess Morley and production assistants, Jonathan Leondis. 